0: After the U.S. Constitution was written, the, the country was divided on two sides. So, so the Constitution was written, and then they had these two, p- two sides, people that were in favor and people that were against the Constitution. And, and, and Alexander Hamilton recruited John Jay against Madison to write what is called the Federalist Papers. These were a group of essays that defended the Constitution and kind of gave shape of how the Constitution would be practiced. The Constitution was a document. This was the actual document that gave like, guidance. They are still used to rule the law of this country. And Jay, Madison, and Hamilton divided their work. And John Jay was sick after writing five essays. Madison wrote 29 and hamilton wrote 51 essays in 7 months and sometimes he's crying because he's doing a little dissertation <laughs> <laughs> a 175,000 words in 7 months 175,000 words in 7 months and they didn't have a macbook we're not going to go to even window base, You, know, that's, you need to convert if you're still using window base. <laughs> they, they wanted the Constitution to be approved, so they worked super hard. They gave all their time to write these papers to be able to defend the Constitution, and the Constitution was finally approved, and the historians give these papers great deal of responsibility for that to happen. If they haven't written this paper, most likely, the states that were against the Constitution would have not come to the other side. You see, they, they gave their time because this was a priority for them. They wanted the Constitution to be approved. So they gave seven months of their life. All they did was this. You see, our goals informs our priorities. Our goals in life inform our priorities. What do we give time to? And much of our goals that we give is things that we believe that will save us. What, what do you want to be saved from? If you want to be saved from poverty, your priority is going to be making money, working, seeing ways to, to prosper. Nothing wrong with that, but that will be your top priority. If it's health, maybe you give your priority to WebMD and look into ways to be healthy and healthy and healthy. Nothing bad to be healthy, but that would be your top priority. If it's boredom, what you want to be safe from, you give your time and your efforts and your priority to entertainment. You see, we do things so we can feel safe and we can feel uh, kind of protected. The interesting thing with our salvation, which would be the thing that we should keep priority, somebody else has to do it for us. Yeah, right. It's something that we cannot say, I'm going to work very hard on this to make sure that I'm going to go to heaven, because already one has done the work. What we need to do is trust. Mm-hmm. It's trust and a way that we reflect our trust is by not trusting in other things. So. So we cannot do anything, we can only trust, but a way that we reflect our trust is by saying, I'm not going to trust in these other things. And the way we see if we're trusting or not trusting, one of the ways is where I'm putting my priorities. What are my federal papers that I'm giving all my time to? You see, for the believer, the priority should be trusting in Jesus. And a way that that looks... Is by listening to God's word and responding to it. If you say I trust, to Jesus, I trust in Jesus, a way that you see that in your life is there's a priority in looking at God's word and responding to it. Not only looking at it, responding to it. You see, many times we have been Christians for so long, and we get kind of tired of listening. It just becomes like, like, like background noise. We get in these rhythms and sermons become background noise, cliche phrases become background noise. And at the end, we need to really trust in what the Word of God says and what He says about God and what He says about us. We forget who saved us, and we end up saving, trying to save ourselves through the idols. That we build. One of the most serious sins of Israel was trusting in religious rituals but ignoring God's word. If you look at the story of Israel, that was one of the most serious things. They were doing what it looked was religious, and they were saying, Okay, I'm safe, I'm 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 checking that box, I'm doing the religious thing, but all other aspects of my life I'm going to trust in myself. And I think we can have that same temptation years after that. You see, Christianity is a religion of weakness, of dependence, never of self-sufficiency. And, and I'm observing like this pendulum swing that we move from what we thought was maybe uh, legalism, but instead of running to from legalism, running toward uh, the gospel, we tend to run to liberty. Instead of running to the gospel, we we run to liberty and doing whatever we think. Before, we were saying, Pastor, tell us what to do and we will do it. We don't care if the Bible says so, but if you do, we need to do this. We're going to do it. And we run from that... To, I don't care what the pastor say, I'm going to do what I think because I'm the ultimate authority. And both are the same thing. You're not trusting in the Word of God. There's the same reflection on both sides. Once you trust what somebody else tells you, and in the other you're trusting what you're, te- what you're telling yourself, but at the end we need to trust what the Word of God tells. And that's the only way that we're going to trust in Him, and we're going to be able to Put away idols. You see, obedience comes out of trust. When I tell Joey, my handsome, (laughs) I like to, I like to embarrass them. That's a job of a dad. I tell them all the time. I do crazy things in Walmart just to embarrass them, and I say that's my job. Many times I, I can tell him, you need to obey me because I'm your dad. And I have that card. I have that card hidden here and I take it out sometimes. But I'd rather tell him, I want you to obey me because you trust in me. Because you know that I love you. And because that I, you know that I love you and I want the best for you. When I'm asking you something, I'm asking you because it's the best for your life. And it's the same way when God is asking us to obey in different areas. It's not about legalism. He's asking us to obey because we need to trust in Him. Because we really think that He wants what's best for us. So when we ignore the Word of God and trust in our own judgment, we become self-sufficient. And we will see that the Lord doesn't like that. Oh, but we have a Savior that died for self-sufficient people so that we can become dependent on Him. I'm going to read Isaiah 31 verses 4 to 6 and then we will go to the entire chapter. This is the inspired word of God. This is God speaking to us and how we love that He still speaks to us. Verse 4 For thus the Lord say to me as a liar As a lion or a a young lion growls over his prey. And when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on his hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O oh children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hand has sinfully made for you. This is the word of the Lord. In the book of Isaiah, we have this beautiful theme that is throughout the book of the coming king that is coming to save Israel his people. And we see later on that that coming king is this uh, suffering servant that comes to suffer and take our place. And we saw a couple of weeks ago when I came in Isaiah 6, that only the glory of that king is the thing that can transform us as, as the glory of God transformed the prophet Isaiah. But one thing that, that we, want, we need to see, in, in First and Second Kings, there's 40 kings presented to the people of Israel. 20 From Judah, 20 from the northern kingdom of Israel, 20. 20 from Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, 20 of them, zero were righteous. 20 from Judah, eight were righteous. So 40 out of eight. Maybe if you're batting baseball, that's a good percentage, (laughs) but that's not a good percentage. What, what he's telling us, and the question that we should have is, where is this coming king that was, was uh, promised to, to King David? Where is he coming from? But kids, Because the kings that we're getting, they're not that good. And Isaiah is telling us, oh, wait. There's a coming king that will come and reign in righteous ways. But you people have turned your trust away from me. Come to me. And we're in, a, in Isaiah 31. It's in a section from a t- Isaiah 28 to 40, 42. Where the pe- God is sooning is in on the sins of Israel. In the first part of the book, 1 to 12, he's telling that this judgment is coming to Israel. Then 13 to 27, he's saying that the, the, the judgment is coming to all the nations surrounding Israel. But right now, in this section, especially these first three, four, five uh, chapters of Isaiah, he's zooming in on the sins of Israel. And let me tell you something: I've been preaching now Isaiah for like a couple, bunch of months. Isaiah is relentless. It is relentless. He's coming to you after, again, and again, and again, about taking away our idols. I preach one sermon, and I'm thinking, maybe the, the next sermon is going to be a little more uplifting. Boom. Die to your idols. Die to, to your religios- religiosity. And it's under, it, the, the, the things that is happening in 28 to 32 is basically a repetition of the same scene, which is basically the people of God is closing their ears from the word of God. In chapter twenty-eight, the prophet is speaking, and it's almost like like this like this elevator music. It's almost like like the prophet is speaking, and for them, it's like Bla, blah 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 blah, blah 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 blah, blah. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. And the prophet speaks, and what you hear is it, blah 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 blah, and, and the, the the prophet didn't have an accent. It's not like here that like you're what he's saying. No, no, that's, that's not what it was happening. That's not what it was happening. What's happening was, yeah, I understand it's something here sounds like blah, 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 blah. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it's this aspect that you are just like, oh, he died for my sins, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he took away my iniquity, blah, 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 blah. Because it doesn't have an effect on us. It's the same And same over and over. In chapter 30, they say, Give us us prophets that speak what we want to hear. Give us prophets that speak what we want to hear. And we see that in Timothy. Just just tell us what, what we want to hear. And in Isaiah 31, it gives this emphasis to idolatry. Assyria is coming to destroy the kingdom of Jur- the Judah. And they have a choice. And in tr- instead of trusting in God, they desire to trust themselves. And the way they trust themselves is by saying, Egypt, come and help us. Do you see the I don't mean that they were rescued from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They were taken captive in, e- in Egypt. God has to open the sea so they can get away from their bondage. And they're saying in their time of need, no, no, I'm not going to go to the God that took me out of my bondage. I'm going to go back to my bondage. Oh, don't we do that. We were free from our sin. And when things become difficult, we go back to to that because that's where our trust is. And God is telling us, come back to me. You you see, Christianity is not a bunch of cliche phrases. We want to be gospel-centered, but we don't want that to become a cliche phrase. We need to really deeply believe and trust that God is God and salvation comes from our God. When our hearts believe that He's safe, we can truly and fully trust Him. And when that happens, our hearts are awakened. It makes that we can live expectant for the future that we have in him. We're just not surviving. We are thriving in the middle of difficult circumstances because we know he's God and we know that he's safe. Idolatry is an enemy. So we don't carve now wooden image. I don't see you, any of you guys getting your wood shops you know, ready to carve a wooden image. But those wooden images represented safety for them. Because it was a God that they could see. Part of Christianity is trusting in a God that we cannot see. But our wooden image, now, in 2019, are the things that we put our trust, our security. In the book of Ezekiel, idolatry is what drives God, from the presence of the temple. So we battle idolatry; that's our priority, by centering our lives in God. You see, the Sunday commitment of coming and listening, time and time again, the glorious truth of the gospel. My wife Kathy said, "We are so spoiled. We are so spoiled," and she loves me. She's like, "But but, but we get to listen." The gospel every Sunday. I know you guys get to listen to the gospel every Sunday. It should not be blah, 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 blah. It should be glorious news that alerts, awakes our hearts toward living for His glory. And taking us away from the craziness of trusting in self. So after the longest introduction in the history of preaching... We shall trust God by repenting of trusting in idols and turning to God that has defeated our enemies and he has the power to protect us. At the end, only he can protect us. Verse number one, there's a warning. There's a warning saying that trusting in other things that is not God will never give fruit. Verse one. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or console the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evil doers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. The warning is it will not work. Your plan that you're doing to save and protect yourself is not going to work. It looks wise, it looks safe, but at the end, it will not give through. When you see wall there, it's like a warning. He's telling you, do not trust in these things. Because there are big consequences if you go that route. When you see that word wall there, you should be awakened by it. You should say, hey, let me pay attention. Because the consequences of not doing this will be unmeasurable. And what he's saying here is the people of God, they were wanting to trust in horses and military power. They didn't have many, so they went to some people that have a lot of them. How much protection can I have? They should have remembered what happened to David when he decided to do the census. You remember that story? David did a census. What's wrong with doing a census? He did a census so he could feel protected, not by God, but by the amount of men that he had around. That was his sin. Because he was... Trusting, not in God, but in flesh. The slogan, is that an English word? Slogan? A slogan? Good. Because this is in Spanish and sometimes gets lost in translation. The slogan of the people of God during that time was in Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. That was like a slogan for them. But the thing is, they were not following it. And that's the thing that we can do. We're gospel center Sunday and don't do it the week. We don't fully trust. We can have a slogan that can go empty. They were doing the opposite. And Isaiah gives us what's the problem. He's giving us what is the problem. It's in verse 1. They were trusting in horses. But you see the problem is at the end of verse 1. But do not look to the holy one of Israel, or consult the Lord. That is, that is. We need to stop there and see. The problem is not only that they're not consulting. The problem is that the Lord is available to be consulted. He's available to be consulted, and they decided to trust in other things. He's available to be consulted. And we decide to trust in our own wisdom. You see, we create in our minds this religion where we feel protected. But at the end, if we don't look at him, don't trust him, we become idolaters. And then we come blah, 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 blah. Words become empty. Sometimes I think... And I've seen, I've seen myself in this place. We don't want to look at him. You know why? Because we know we're going to be changed. Sometimes we resist not looking at him because we know if we go to his presence, he's going to do something. If we're true believers, he's going to do something. Kathy, sometimes she tell me, uh, I think I say this before, but for me, an idol can be dwelling in myself pity sometimes. And, and that becomes a precious idol. It feels good to feel bad. <laughs> and I'm in a couch there, you know, one of those lazy boys. I put my legs up. I have uh, uh, Arnold Palmer, my lemonade with my iced tea. And Kathy, you know, I'm, I'm dwelling there, I'm, I'm there, poor me. And she will look at me and say, go and your Bibles. And inside of me, I don't want to. I don't want to, because I know if I go to the Bible, it's going to do something to me. If I look at him, I have to be changed. And many times I think, we have these idols that we treasure. And we say, don't mess with my Christian liberties, because you don't want nobody to touch them. And you haven't gone to the Word of God to see what God has done and say about that area of your life. And we're trusting in our own judgment. We're trusting in our horses. You see, when we see him, verse number three says clearly, the Egyptians are just men and not God. When we see God, we see our wisdom and say, what an idiot! I've been trusting in the wrong thing. How can I not trust him when I can go to him? You see, we show trust in God by repenting of trusting in idols and turning to God that has defeated our enemies and has the power to protect us. At the end, only God, brothers and sisters, only God can protect us. Let's make a hashtag, only God can protect. Only God can protect. Point number two, power. There was a warning, this is not going to work. Number two, power. He's going to tell us what is the power that can truly protect us. He's saying, this is not going to work, but he's giving us what can work. He's giving us the solution. And God used an illustration to show us that he can really protect us and not Egypt. Verse number four. For thus the Lord say to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion on his hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. He's saying, God has the power to protect us. Two ways. Like a lion, that destroy his enemies. He can protect us like a lion that can go and destroy his enemies. How much more protection do we want? He's the only one that can really destroy our enemies. Don't think about your boss. Don't think about your mother-in-law. Don't think about your neighbor that let the dog do his business in your yard. our enemies now are sin, Satan, and death. Only one that can protect us. The lion that is roaring against them is God. He's the only one that can protect us. So he's that lion and I I love that. He's not only that lion. It says that he's like a bird hovering to protect Jerusalem. This is this bird that that can protect us. When I was in college, 20 maybe I was 21. We're talking like seven, eight years ago. Uh, <laughs> I was. Uh, we, we. You know, we are in Puerto Rico, so there's there's this one stairs that it's like 99 steps. People call it the Calvary. Those people don't know what what happened in Calvary. But you go up 99 steps. There's mango trees coming down, and so you have to like in, in mango season, you have to be like watching for mangoes. You start hearing things, and you are like because you don't want a mango to hit you right there. So we're, you're going up, and at the end, I was with a friend of mine, and this was like a, a type of... It's like a hawk that is in Puerto Rico. We call it a guadaguao, but it's a type of hawk. So I'm coming with my friend. We're going to take a, after uh, an evening class. And all of a sudden, this thing from the devil started attacking us. <laughs> and that thing, it kept coming up and down. And it was scary. It's like a, it wasn't like a small little bird. It was like a good sized bird. And he kept like, coming down. And at that point, it's about who's the fastest. <laughs> who's the fastest of the two of us? So, so that, bird, that bird was angry. We didn't do anything. But he felt threatened. And we saw that he has like, like little birds, chicks, what we, we call Man, my English is getting better. Uh, and then he will do whatever to protect his. That's what the Lord is. He will, he, will, he will be in front of the devil. He will be in front of death. He will be in front of our sin to protect us. We can truly trust him. The fifth book of the Bible, I don't know how to pronounce it in English. So you have to spread with me. Do you <laughs> don't know me? Thirty-two eleven. Amen. We have an Hispanic that can say, "I'm not that kind of Hispanic." <laughs> like an eagle that stirs up his nest, that flutters over his young, his young, spreading out his wing, catching them, bearing them on his pinions. That's that's what God is. He's protecting our, our, our his youth. And this son in, in 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 the fifth book of the Bible gives us the trust that we should have that he protects us. So he says, But the Lord's portion is his people. He protects us because we are his portion. Brothers and sisters, that's amazing. Yeah. Because usually we see it the other way. We are he is our portion. But he's saying there, we are his portion. We are his inheritance. That is unbelievable. I don't. I, it followed me that this sinner is the heritage that God wants. Unbelievable. So He will protect us. He protects us to the point that He gave His life so that we be protected from our enemies. He does these things. And he does this thing of protecting us through grace. And look what a protection. Verse number five. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. So that that means we should trust him. But look what is the protection. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. They were looking at idols and he said, I can protect you. I will deliver you. I will set you free. You want to go back to bondage? I already have set you free. Trust in my salvation. That word "spare" there—it's it's actually can be translated as forgiven us." He has spared. He's, he has taken away our sin. That's the protection that he's given us, and he has rescued us through the finish work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. He has become the lion and the bird. He's become the lion that defeat our enemies, and he has become the bird that protect us in the nest. Oh, God, let us trust in you and your finished work on the cross, that we can rest and don't put our, our trust in idols, you see, this is the work of the gospel. He went after us. He forgets my iniquity. And we need to believe this so that we can trust that He can protect us. Amen. We shall trust in God by repenting of trusting in idols and turning to God, and, that, and turning to God that has defeated our enemy and has the power to protect us. At the end, brothers and sisters, only God can protect us. There was a warning. There's power that can protect us, and there's a call to repentance. Point number three call to repentance. And he's asking us to come back to him. Verse 6 and 7. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. Look at the mercy and grace from God. He protects us. He goes after us. And He calls us back. He calls us back to Him. Come back to me, because we belong to Him. We are His inheritance. And how does it look in the, in the, in the context of this passage? It looks by renouncing to our idols. Verse 7, for that day everyone should cast away his idols. The way we show trust in the in the protection of God is by not trusting in other protections from running away from those. How, how does it look to renounce? Casting away idols of silver and idols of God. Isaiah 30 twenty-two give us an idea. Verse 22 says, Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and, and your gold plated metal image. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. The, the idols that you were worshiping, you're going to defile them. And you're going to like throw them like it's unclean. And if somebody knew their Bible back then, their minds would have gone to Exodus chapter 30. That's the golden calf. And what happened in the Golden Calf? We all know the story. They created that idol. Look who take us out, to, look who take us out from, uh, from slavery. We become idol worshippers when we forget who saved us. They say this image saved us, so we're going to worship it. So we, we worship what we think saved us. And at the end, Moses come back and say, destroy this. And it's amazing what he asked the people of God to do with, with the with the golden calf. Destroy it, put it in a water, like a Kool-Aid, and drink it. You know what he's saying? You will scatter them as unclean things. You are going to drink it because you're going to like waste. It's going to come out of your body as waste. That thing that you worship is waste. There's something that, that I'm amazed when I, when I see at Revelation and it says that we're going to walk in streets of gold. People are like, oh, we're going to have streets of gold in heaven. Pavement is gold because it's nothing, it's everything. The amazing thing is not, whoo, the street of gold, whoo, I'm going to have a chisel because it's going to be nothing. It's going to be pavement because we will have everything in Him. He's everything. He's waste. Our idols are waste. We destroy them. Not because we want to feel like we are the, the most holy people. It's because we have seen the holy one and we want to follow Him. It's not out of self-sufficiency that we destroy our idols. It's about a sense of security that we have in him that we don't have to pour our lives in other idols. What, What is the big deal about idols? The big deal is that it's a form of apostasy. It's a form of saying, I don't believe in the gospel. I'm trusting in something else. Why why God take it so seriously? It's because at the end, when you have idols, you are saying you are not sufficient. Your faith, is, you, what you are promised me for, for protection is not enough. You see, sometimes we're functionally atheists. We don't have to des- deconstruct our faith to commit apostasy. By trusting in our idols, we can functionally remove our faith and we can declare with our mouth that we're son of God, but with our life that we're trusting something else. That's what was happening to the people of Israel. They still have their festivals. They still have their their temple. But functionally, they were not trusting. You see, we move from legalism to licentiousness. And both are forms of self-salvation. We need to live in a, in, a, in a surrendering aspect of our life where everything is out there to say, Lord, if, if you want this for my life, take it away. And not only take it away, because sometimes we say take it away like I'm willing to put it on the altar and die, of, die for it. So 2019, 2020, What is our functioning idols? What are the things that we tend to trust? I'm no expert, but I think one of the biggest idols that we can run to, especially in the United States, in a postmodern era where truth is inside of me is this sense of independence criteria. It's this sense that, that the truth is in me and I decide how I live my life it's this sense of I'm the ultimate truth. oh we don't say that but many times functionally we can live like that Romans fourteen twenty-two is a passage that I've been meditating a lot and I think it's one of the most underused passages that the church needs the most I'm not saying it's the most important, but I'm saying it's one of the most underused that the church needs the most. Can you guys go with me? Romans 14.22. I'm not preaching later, so no hurry. <laughs> Maybe the idol of our early lunch. You have to die two to it. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Romans 14.22, he's talking about Christian liberties. He's talking about things that we can do differently. And every, everyone and no pastor can tell you you should do this or that because there's, there's Christian liberties in those sense. But this is the responsibility that we all have in front of those decisions. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whoever does not proceed from faith is sin. And I think the way this independence of the twenty twenty idol shows is that we make a lot of decisions and we really have not have the proper faith to make those decisions because we haven't studied the word of God to let us guide those decisions. Are you guys following me? And what he's saying here is, if you do something with no faith, it's what? Sin. sin. So that's something that's, whoa, I need to take this seriously. He's telling me that if I eat, and he's talking about that there were people that ate some things, ate other things, and they, it wasn't sin to do one or the other. In chapter 14 of Romans, he says, don't judge them. Let them make the decision. It's going to be a decision in front of the Lord, so we all can, we're all going to be account for God. Some people have tell me, but you're a pastor and you have time to study God's word. Go and say that to the Lord in the presence of the Lord. Is that your excuse? Go and take it to the Lord. What he's saying is at the end, we are responsible for these decisions. And we need to go to the word of God and have proper understanding of the word of God. You see, we don't look at the Holy One. We make a lot of decisions in our life, independence without doing what the people of God were not doing. Don't looking at the Holy One. How do we look at the Holy One? Through scripture. Through convictions of biblical matter. You see, Christian liberties have become this excuse to say, I'm the captain now. I'm in charge now. I can drive the boat. And what the Bible is telling you is you have those liberties but you better have a conviction of what the, God, the Word of God is telling you to do. And it should be backed up by Scripture, not by your own understanding. You see, there are things that Devon, Larry, myself were, can, cannot tell you what to do. Maybe what we can tell you is go to scripture and, and, and drive a conviction in that area. But you need to come from scripture. I think one of the problems that, that many times we become so accustomed to the, systematic theology that we make the decisions on that level and we don't go to an exegetical level and study the passages itself. And we're trusting things that we have listened, but we haven't looked at the word of God himself, which is the one that have life. And that's what needs to guide us. And I'm going to give some examples. And I'm not going to say but number one, reasons for not attending church. There's a couple of passages that I believe give liberty to people to decide. But if you're taking that decision without studying Genesis 1 and 2, Exodus 20, Exodus 34, 35, Leviticus 23, fifth book book of the Bible, chapter 5, Isaiah 56, Isaiah 46, Luke 13, 14, Revelation 1, 9, 2 Corinthians 8. I think if you're not looking at Scripture on those senses and make a decision, if you come and not come, I think that comes from Romans 22. 20. At the sin is not coming or not coming to church. The sin is doing things without faith. Type of clothing that we wear. Titus 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 11. You see, and that's apply if you go to the ocean, if you go to sports team, and if you go to the gym, I cannot tell you, but you better study what Scripture says, so you come to a decision of faith. Giving of the first fruits of your labors, Genesis four, whole book of Proverbs, Malachi three, Second Corinthians eight. I cannot tell you the tie or no tie. But you better study what the of, word well of God says, so that is what's driving you. It's a faith coming from the work of God, from the, from the word of God. physical expression doing worship if we raise our hands if we shout i was in a in a in a conference in in colombia and there's a a lot of like these very like serious christians and i i don't, they don't like me <laughs> <laughs> so i'm i am i am preaching the glories of the gospel and i go like whoa <laughs> And somebody said, I love the message, but I didn't like it because he said woo. I say, I have more biblical grounds for that woo that he has not. Because there's shouts of joy in scriptures. There's shouts of joy in scripture. So if you come to church and you're like this, you better have studied. You better have studied what scripture has to say about physical expression during worship. Because we have become self sufficient. We have allowed this mentality, I'm the captain now. I'm the captain now. I'm in charge. And we silence our prophets. And we just go, every time somebody touch our little idol, blah, 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 blah. Instead of opening our ears... You see, Devon and Larry didn't send me to say this. But in the Old Testament, who spoke the Word of God? Were the prophets. And if you see in the Old Testament, what was the warning? To see false prophets, to identify false prophets. That's the the emphasis in the Old Testament. Because they were the ones speaking the Word of God. So identify false prophets. You go to the New Testament... Who do they ask us to identify? It's not prophets anymore. It's false teachers. Because they're the ones that speak with authorities. In some ways, they're the New Testament prophets that they're taking this finalized prophecy and proclaiming that prophecy to the people of God. And if the people that God has put on this pulpit that love you know they love the word of God, they know they love you. Challenge you to, in an area of Scripture that you see from Scripture, and you say, blah, 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 blah. I'm the captain now. You see, we, we, we choir consciences, and there's just massive consequences. The book of Hosea, is that in English? Osea, yep. yep. We have Google translate here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, brother. Four, six, it talks about for lack of, of, of wisdom, of lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. For lack of knowledge, our people are destroyed. And we we all know that part. But what we don't know many times is what God lets us say. God says, I will forget your children. I will forget your children. So our generation, we become the captain now. We have our strong consciences that we can make decisions. But we don't see how those decisions affect the conscience of our weaker conscience children. And God will forget them. Maybe something that you can handle. by skipping a Sunday. He will give them the message of saying, Maybe church is not that important because of their weaker conscience. Maybe some entertainment that you look. Your conscience is already it's not doesn't affect you. So they will start seeing as normalize some behavior in that the world put like it's normal. And then they grew up 22 and you say, but why do they think now this is normal? Because we tempted their weaker conscience by not going to scripture and letting scripture inform. You see, when we look at Christian liberties, we need to have this I'm be holy because I'm holy kind of attitude toward it. You, you see the consequences? But you know, you know where we need to start our conviction? Before you study Sunday, before you talk, the study type of clothing, first fruits, what you see. I think the, the first conviction that we have to take is this one. We need to really believe that this is the word of God. We really need to believe that. So you need to study Second Timothy three, Hebrews four, Second Peter two two, First uh, John one. Because when you really believe that this is God speaking to you, oh, you want to look at the Holy One, so the Holy One w- works in your heart, and you can move in true faith, and not in an independent type of thinking. I love Isaiah in chapter 8, 18. Say, behold, I and the children who the Lord has given me are sign, our portents in Israel for the Lord our hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. He was surrounded by worldliness and he said, me and my family will serve the Lord. Me and my family will serve the Lord. And I'm sure Isaiah had in mind Samuel that his sons ended up not serving the Lord. And he had in mind that uh, Samuel saw Eli and the sons of Eli were not serving the Lord and Samuel made them make mis- the same mistake. Let this, the word of God govern every aspect of our life because that will protect us. Point number four, there's a declaration. God has promised that he will defeat our enemy. And I'm finishing with this. Verse eight. And the Assyrian should fall by a sword, not of man. And a sword, not of man, should devour him. And he should flee from the sword. And his young men should be put to forced labor. His rock should pass away in terror. And his officers desert the standard of panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. You see what he's saying? He will defeat the enemies. He will defeat Assyria. Not making a, 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 a commitment with Egypt. He will defeat our enemies. He will defeat death. He will defeat uh, our sin. And he will defeat Satan. And you know what? It's not he will. He has already defeated. On the cross on Calvary, he already defeated our enemies. So we trust. We trust with our hearts. If you guys can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will finish reading this, 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 this passage. Because you can tell me maybe, well, that's Israel. This is not for us. This is, this is relevant to them. We are the new people of God. We are in the new covenant. This is not for us. And I want to show you First Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read 11 verses to show you that this is relevant to us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea And all were baptized into Moses, and and in the cloud, and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Oh, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What he's saying is, they saw these miracles, and these miracles represented the deliverance that Christ has given to us. Oh, we are in a better position than them. We are in a, in a privileged position. One of the things that First Peter shows is that we are in this age of a privileged uh, revelation. But look at verse 6. Now these things took place as an example for us. You see that it's for us? That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the story. Again, now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on who the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Let he fall. You see, he goes twice. This is an example for us. You see, they saw miracles. They were liberated. But they trusted in idols. They thought they were standing. The only thing that can make us stand is what Jesus did on the cross. Let that be the thing that as we look at him, His protection, His care, His love. Make us trust. And that drive us to Scripture. So we look at Him and our idols become waste. For Your glory, Lord, we pray. Lord, we are grateful for Your mercy toward us. What a privilege it is to look at Your Scripture. Let us respond in faith as You speak to us toward Your Word. And as we look, Christ, we're transformed. They saw you as you opened the sea, but we have seen you in your greatest act of redemption, dying for us on the cross. That that will stir our hearts for trusting you. As you have taken care of the one thing we cannot protect ourselves from, your own wrath. We trust in you, Jesus. Even as we walk and we feel that we don't trust you, our trust is that you will protect us because you, we are your inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.